welcome to Cinematicon Ex Mortis, the horror movie podcast hosted by Kenny and Heather. And today we are going to talk about Witchfinder General from 1968, aka The Conqueror Worm for our American listeners. Um, but before we do that, uh, I last time I mentioned that I was going to do a series of polls on the website twitter.com. And I did those polls, so I thought we could, I don't know, just chat about that for a little bit. Did you have a chance to look at those, Heather? No. <laughs> okay. So this will be um, exciting to hear the results. Yeah, there were some really fascinating results, honestly. Mm. Not that many people voted, you know, sometimes in in the in the range of like zero people for some of them, but... <laughs> For most of them, I, I did get votes, and uh, they're interesting. So uh, I went from 1999 down to 1990, and I just asked what was the best horror movie of that year, and I gave four options that I think are kind of like the four main contenders. So the first one was, what was the best horror movie of 1999? I put Audition, Blair Witch Project, Sixth Sense, and Sleepy Hollow. So th maybe this will be fun. I'll have you guess which one won. Mm, Blair Witch. No. No? No, that actually got no votes. What? So, audition. That is interesting, because you chose the two wrong answers. That's so weird. One person voted Sixth Sense, and one person voted Sleepy Hollow. I would pick Sleepy Hollow, personally, because I love that movie so much. I. Maybe you did pick it. Maybe you were that person. I don't think it was me, um, but I, I didn't know that you would consider that a horror film. Um, I think so. It's got some scary stuff. We should cover that movie. Like that witch whose eyes bug out like uh, Large Marge. Remember that? Yes. Uh, yes. I will never forget it as long as I live. <laughs> you got uh, headless Christopher Walken. Yeah, I love that movie. If it was me voting, which I should say, you know, I was totally uh, on the level and I didn't put my thumb on the scale for any of these. Mm -hmm. But if I had, it would have been for Audition. I think Audition is probably the best one of 1999. Interesting. And my second place would go to Blair Witch. So I, so whoever voted on this was completely wrong. <laughs> I don't know if you can say that. Yeah, just, just kidding, uh, listeners. Please don't hit stop and the hate but is there like a i know there's like button is there a hate button no thank god so the second one actually nobody voted on it sadly this was the one that everyone skipped okay what was it best horror movie of 1998 the options were bride of chucky fallen the last broadcast and ring or ringu hmm. 98 was kind of a rough year for horror <laughs> okay what would you have picked? I would have gone with Ringu. Okay. But to be fair, I haven't seen Bride of Chucky, so I've just heard that it's like, you know, pretty, it's like a horror comedy kind of thing. So it might be up my alley. Someday I'll get around to watching that whole series. Mm -hmm. But I've only seen the first one. Uh, then the third one was uh, for 1997. The options were Cube. Event Horizon, Funny Games, and Scream 2. I haven't seen any of those, so I wouldn't have been able to vote anyway. Ah. Do you have a guess? Mm, no. I, the only one out of those I've even heard of is Scream 2. Well, that did get a vote, but Cube won with two votes. Oh, wow. Landslide. Yeah. Yeah. No, 66.7% of the vote. That's, <laughs> that's massive. I, I would vote for that, too. I, I like Cube. Okay. For 1996, the options were The Frighteners, From Dusk Till Dawn, Scream, and Thesis. What did you think, one? Uh, scream. Yeah. Okay. That one got six votes, all for Scream. Wow. So I'm surprised nobody voted From Dusk Till Dawn. But I'm kind of happy that they didn't, because this is a hot take, I guess. I hate that movie. I'm not a big fan. It's like, okay. Yeah, I really don't. I don't see what people see in it. 
other than the Salma Hayek scene, like, it, I, eh. Yeah, well, if you have a foot fetish, okay, <laughs> that, I, I get it. <laughs> then I do understand what you see in that, but. I do not. And in every Quentin Tarantino Yeah, film. that was definitely one of his footiest films. Yeah, it's a pass from me. Uh, so 95, the options were The Day of the Beast, In the Mouth of Madness, Mute Witness, and Seven. Ooh. The only one I've seen out of those is Seven, and Seven is really good. Yeah, it got all the votes, too. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's so good. But In the Mouth of Madness is also really good, so I would check that out. Um, and I haven't seen the other two, so mm-hmm. they could also be good. Who knows? Some of these I hadn't seen four films from that year, so or four good ones, so I had to kind of just look around and see what other people said were the best. So, 94, the options were Cemetery Man, Interview with the Vampire, New Nightmare, meaning Wes Craven's New Nightmare, and Wolf. Okay. Well, the only one out of those I've seen is Interview with the Vampire, and I love that movie. That one sort of won. It tied... It got one vote, and Wes Craven's New Nightmare got one vote. And I would actually go with Cemetery Man. If you haven't seen that, it's a surreal, bizarre Italian film, and I think it's pretty great. Next up is 93. The options are Kronos, The Dark Half, Leprechaun, and Needful Things. And which one won? Kronos and Leprechaun each got one vote. Interesting. And this is the one where it's hard for me to really say. The only one I've seen is Kronos, and I'm not that big of a fan of it. So, moving on. Uh, 92, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Candyman, Dead Alive, or Brain Dead, and Single White Female are the options. Those are a lot of good films. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah, that was a better year. I don't know what I would pick. I think I would go with Candyman as mm-hmm. the best, and that is what the voters also thought. They That got three out of the four votes. One vote went to Bram Stoker's Dracula. That movie is ridiculous. Yeah, but I I, I need to watch it again. But It's, like, entertaining, but it is ridiculous. That is a ridiculous film. It is, and that's kind of how I appreciate it. I kind of watched it as a horror comedy it it's hilarious it is that movie is so funny i don't think they meant it to be that funny but it i was crying with laughter when i watched it yeah so it's either like really good or really bad you know like if they intended that then it's really good i think it's terrible but like in a good way second to last one uh 1991 the options are cape fear the people under the stairs the pit and the pendulum and the silence of the lambs Ooh, well i've only seen the silence of the lambs out of those but it's my favorite horror movie so yeah this one uh the silence of the lambs did win Mm -hmm. but people were more split it looks like people under the stairs got two votes and cape fear got one so I guess I need to check out the people under the stairs because I haven't actually seen that. And, okay, now last one. 1990, the options were The Exorcist 3, Frankenhooker, Jacob's Ladder, and Misery. Ooh, Misery's so good. Misery's so good. Yeah, it actually didn't get any votes. What? Only one, per- only one person voted and... That person voted for Jacob's Ladder. Okay. Which I also think is really good. I've never seen it, but I'm never going to. This is a really good year, because Exorcist 3 is really good, too. Okay, well, are you happy with your results? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was fun, and uh, listeners, you can let us know in the comments if you want us to keep doing this. Uh, For now, I guess after... We release this episode. I'll do another round of these for the '80s because the '80s are yeah. '80s are pretty sweet. I mean, the '90s there were some bum years, what, like 1998, where it's like you're really kind of digging to find four films. But mm-hmm. I don't think the '80s are going to be like that. The '80s are going to be really competitive. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess we should 
get around to talking about today's motion picture. Mm-hmm. We watched Witchfinder General, which was a British film released in 1968, directed by Michael Reeve, co-written by Reeve with Tom Baker, based on the 1966 novel of the same title by Ronald Bassett, which in turn was loosely based on the real career of the 17th century witch hunter Matthew Hopkins. The film stars Vincent Price, Ian Ogilvie, and Hilary Dwyer, and it features a musical score by Paul Ferris. Um, so some interesting behind-the-scenes stuff on this one. AIP, the production company that made the film, had previously done a string of Poe adaptations, usually directed by Roger Corman and starring Vincent Price, uh, that generally did very well at the U.S. box office. So, when they released this film, they retitled it The Conqueror Worm for its U.S. release, and they added voiceover to the beginning and end of the picture, uh, where Vincent Price reads the Poe poem called The Conqueror Worm in an attempt to pass the film off as another film in that series, even though mm. it really isn't. Uh, meanwhile, the violent scenes in the film were heavily censored in the UK cut. And then on top of everything else that happened to this poor movie, uh, Paul Ferris's excellent score was replaced on uh, the home video releases for a number of years due to rights issues. Uh, thankfully, though, modern DVD and Blu-ray releases uh, usually feature a director's cut, in quotation marks, that is presumably closest to how Reeve would have wanted it to look. Uh, he died at the age of 25, just months after the film's release, so that's why I put director's cut in quotation marks. It's just sort of restoring the film back to what it should have been on release. Plot summary. Spoiler alert. So... Uh, at the beginning of the film, it is 1645, and the English Civil War is raging, with supporters of Parliament fighting against supporters of King Charles's divine right to rule. A soldier serving in Oliver Cromwell's parliamentary army named Richard Marshall visits his hometown, where he stays with the village priest John Lois, who is the uncle and guardian of Richard's sweetheart, Sarah. Lois gives Richard permission to marry Sarah in hopes that he will get her out of town as they've become unpopular due to their religious beliefs and he fears that some trouble will ensue. Turns out he's right. After Richard leaves to rejoin the army, self-appointed witch hunter Matthew Hopkins arrives in town with his lackey John Stern. Taking advantage of the chaos of the war, Hopkins goes about finding and executing supposed witches with the collusion of superstitious townsfolk. No sooner does he arrive than Lois is accused of witchcraft and tortured. To save her uncle, Sarah agrees to sleep with Hopkins, but he decides to execute Lois anyway. When he finds out what's happened, Richard vows to kill Hopkins, and he sets off on a desperate quest for vengeance. Okay. Uh, so, I guess my first discussion topic here is, do you consider this to be a horror film? Um, I guess, because I was horrified. So, yeah, I suppose. What What about it did you find uh, horrifying? Um, probably all the rape stuff. Mm. It's just, like, really... It, it's really hard to watch. This movie was really hard to watch. Yeah. I think that was intentional, um... So the film got censored in the UK, and even so, critics like were really harsh on it and said like it was a exploitation film and it shouldn't be so gory. And I think the director, I was watching the behind the scenes stuff, but it, it's been a while. Um, I think he like took out an either he sent a letter or he like wrote an editorial or something like that. Um, responding to these criticisms where he basically said that he thought it was messed up that in other films the violence is depicted in a way that's entertaining and he deliberately made the violence in this film like unbearable to watch mm -hmm. because that's the reaction that you should have okay yeah no i i agree there's like uh some really disturbing stuff in here mm-hmm 
what I find, I don't know, I was, I was watching this and it occurred to me that this whole like scenario of witch hunting and everything to me is I think actually scarier than like a serial killer or something like that. It is. Like, obviously, like we've talked about before, I'm more scared of, like, supernatural stuff than real stuff. And there's no supernatural stuff in this movie. Mm-hmm. But to me, in the world, within the world of natural things, there's something almost comforting about a serial killer movie like The Silence of the Lambs or Misery that we've covered. Because it's sort of in, in the world of that kind of film, there's one person who is an outlier, who's like this weirdo who kills people or tortures people, who does whatever. And the rest of the world is kind of on your side. You know, if you can get out of the house, you know, if you can escape from the lair of this person and get to the police, then you're okay. But in this kind of witch hunt scenario, like the police are part of the problem. Like there is no outside to get to. Yeah, I, I definitely had that feeling too. It's like there's nowhere they can go. Yeah. There's there's nothing they can do about it. Like, they're just trapped. And that, like, claustrophobic feeling is always, like, really scary in a horror film. Definitely. And, I don't know, just somehow it's, like, it's just way worse when it's, it's everybody kind of going along with this horrible thing. Right. There's no one who can help you. Nobody even, like is trying to help you Mm -hmm. like that nobody wants to um there's something i don't know in a way it's like very contemporary you know like i kind of feel like our society is insane and there's like so many people going around with like just not so beliefs in their heads yeah apathy is terrifying yeah yeah and there's a lot of people that just won't do anything Mm mm-hmm even though they see that something terrible is happening. Yeah. 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 So I think I would agree that this is uh, a pretty horrifying Mm -hmm. film. Um, What would you say is like the most effective element of the picture? I guess it's realistic. So it's, you know, like you said, the, the horror aspect, like the violence and stuff is it's really intense and it's realistic and it's like this kind of thing really did happen and remembering that is it's like another level of horror it's just it's so cringy you're just it's just cringe throughout the entire it's just yeah it's just horrifying it's 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 true horror you know i think for me it's like i think there are a lot of strong elements but um one that i think is really kind of neat is the constant juxtaposition of beauty and ugliness throughout the film like there's so many shots that are like really beautiful and we're out in the english countryside and it's summertime and it's like um really pretty like the very first shot of the film we're looking up through the leaves and we can see like the sun shining through and it kind of like makes a cross which is like, you know, very ironic, right? Like that there's this almost like heavenly symbol um, shining down as we then pan down and we see that some poor woman is being led to her death. Right. And there's lots of moments like that in the film, I think, where it's like, you know, all these horrible things are happening, not just the witch hunts, but also the English Civil War. There's blood and death everywhere but there's also the natural world that's all around them much more than there is now like you know now everything's been built up and like the world is so much uglier than it used to be um and so yeah i don't know there's that that constant sort of contrast which i feel like is a component of a lot of like great films like i don't know lawrence of arabia or you know lots of movies sort of um, do that where they're sort of contrasting the human story with this like much larger natural world. Yeah, I get that. Like the score too. It's got this like really cool, it's, it's very like romantic uh, at points. Um, and uh, that too 
as sort of like balancing the beauty against the, the ugliness of the situation. What about weaknesses? Was there anything in the film that you felt like should have been changed or didn't work for you? Well, I just, obviously, I, I, I didn't think they needed to do, like, do we need that much rape in this movie? Do we need any of it? Like, it's just, ugh. Like, I really hate it. I really hate that. I think it's mm. cheap and just knock it off. Also, the gore was really bad. <laughs> like, that was just straight up pink paint. That wasn't even, like, you guys didn't even try to make that look like blood. Yeah, the blood is so bright. Yeah, it's really fake looking. Like, really fake looking. I, I feel like I probably have, like, a really high tolerance for um, non-photorealistic gore and makeup effects mm -hmm. in movies, you know? Like, this is something mm -hmm. I'm very used to and doesn't bother me usually. Like, um, I don't know, I showed my class one time a clip from uh, The Company of Wolves, the 1980s werewolf movie based on a Angela Carter story, because we read the story for class, so... I showed them part of the movie, um, and it has this like awesome werewolf transformation, where like I'm not even gonna describe. It. Maybe we'll talk about that movie at some point on this show. But um, anyway, it has like this really cool werewolf transformation thing. And then afterward, I I had a discussion with the class about it, and they they kept saying like, oh, like the the special effects were so bad like they must have had a small budget and all this stuff and to, to me it's like oh my god it looks so cool but to them you know they're used mm -hmm. to everything being cg and so when it's it's physically there like you can tell that you know it's not made in a computer it's like a, a some kind of animatronic or puppet or something yeah i always love those to them that means it's fake i love it when it's more animatronic than cg cg is bullshit yeah that's me too so so i i feel like normally i can put up with a lot of things not you know registering as real blood or real whatever um if it's like you know it's what they had to work with at the time but i definitely feel like there are certain points in this film like the ending where <laughs> It really hurts the film yeah. that it looks as bad as it does. Like when, uh, so spoilers for the end of the film, when uh, Richard finally gets his revenge on Matthew Hopkins and he's just wailing on him with the axe. Like he's just hitting him with this axe over and over. And I have to, I guess, disclaimer, I've never seen someone chop someone else up with an axe in real life, but... I would imagine that the axe would actually bite into the person and not just be, you know, whacking them. Like you would whack somebody with a wiffle ball bat. Yeah. Um, which is what it is in the film. So it's obviously a prop axe and, you know, Vincent Price or the stand-in or whatever is mm -hmm. not really being harmed. I would have much preferred that they just cut away their... Yes. That was disappointing because I really wanted to see him in little tiny pieces. <laughs> like, that would have been really satisfying. You didn't like that character? Oh, what do you think? Absolutely not. Like, it would have been way more satisfying to me if he was just, like, a stain on the ground at that point. Like, I wanted him to be in smithereens. So. Talking about the, the rapes that occur in the film, um, that really made me think of a number of other movies from before and after this that deal with uh, sort of male heroism through vigilante violence as a response to a rape. Um, so John Ford's The Searchers, Ingmar Bergman's The Virgin Spring, Sam Peckinpah's Straw Dogs, uh, Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. There's like a bunch of movies that came out around this time. Like many of those are like classic films um, where there is this, this sexual transgression um, and this male hero has to sort of get revenge uh, 
in The Searchers. It's like John Wayne. Do you know that one? Yeah, we watched it together. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's he's going after, I guess his, it's his niece who's been abducted by Native Americans, and he's planning to, like, kill her because she's been corrupted by by them and ends up not doing it at the end. Um, Bergman's The Virgin Spring, uh, a young woman is raped and murdered, and then the killers go and st- they happen to stay at her family's house and then the family discovers what's happened and kill them that was then the basis for Wes Craven's horror film The Last House on the Left Um, Straw Dogs is kind of set in the English countryside and this American academic goes out there and lives in a house and then these uh, kind of country yokels uh, rape his wife and then it ends with this big confrontation where he has to become a man and you know, kill them. Um, and then Taxi Driver, you have uh, Robert De Niro's character sort of fancies himself a kind of rescuing hero to um, this girl who is uh, a prostitute, and he kills the pimp at the end of the film. Um, so, I don't know, in my mind, those are all kind of linked. They're almost like a weird subgenre of like mid to late 20th century film. Um, I don't know. Does that sound like crazy to you? No. What do you think this film is ultimately saying about that, like, subject matter? I mean, I'm not a fan of any movie that, like, uses the female character as, like, a, as, like, character development for the main male protagonist like Sarah was just like a vehicle right like she's just like a plot point Mm -hmm. and I don't like these movies where it's like oh look at this gallant hero he's like avenging this woman who was raped it's like the rape isn't even the point it's I just don't like it (laughs) I don't like them yeah (laughs) the end I was actually going to say the same thing that to me, that's the biggest weakness in the film is how underwritten Sarah is. Like, she really, yeah, just functions as, like, a locus of suffering and violation. Like, that's just things are done to her throughout the film. She doesn't really have a voice. I didn't like it. Right. Like, this would have been such a better movie if she had avenged herself. Hmm. Or, I mean, at least just had a identifiable and believable perspective. Like, when Richard finally does arrive, you know, he finds out what happened and he says, I'm going to get revenge. I'm going to find this guy and kill him. Like, she doesn't say anything. Right. So we don't even know, like, is she on board with his quest of revenge? Or, like, what is her what is her feelings about that? Yeah. It's... He doesn't ask, and the film kind of doesn't ask. It's... It's, um, disappointing. But at the same time, I I don't think that the film is, like, glorifying Richard's sort of revenge quest. If you read something like Straw Dogs, and I think it's a persuasive reading of Straw Dogs as being about, like how to become a man you have to you know to fully mature as a man you have to take violent action and and you know uh what's the word like create justice you know stand up for yourself and for your women um i really don't think that's what is going on here i think this film is really like problematizing that whole idea of masculinity Mm -hmm. because richard is He's like this, you know, Dudley Do-Right kind of character, but he just really feels perpetually outmatched by the world that he's in. It's like you've taken this flat, sort of one-dimensional character, and you've put him into this world of, like, moral grayness and complexity, and he really can't handle it. Right. That's the sense that I get, anyway. I mean, he's, he's, like, so feckless. Like, he doesn't even show up 
until I, I, I counted it's 44 minutes into the film that he finally like rides to the rescue. Yeah, that's another thing. The, the movie kind of like shifts tones and it's like, for a second I was like, oh, okay, so we're going to go get revenge now. Okay, like, okay. Like, I'll feel a little bit better about this movie because up until then I was kind of just like, this movie is just a terrible bummer. It's just a bunch of horrible things that are happening to these people. Like, I, it didn't feel like there was a point. And I'm like, okay, so this is a revenge movie now. Okay, like, I, I'm on board with that. It's not going to redeem the movie for me, but it's at least better than it was. But it kind of, like didn't it wasn't even satisfying in the end you know what i mean like the revenge wasn't satisfying yeah i mean and not for richard either because right. he wanted to be the one to kill hopkins but then like his buddy comes in and shoots mm -hmm. him and then he ends the film like shouting yeah you took him from me right. you took him from me and it's like uh sarah is just like wailing mm -hmm. and it just ends. It's like these people, their lives are just ruined. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing's really been like, fixed. Nothing, ha nothing was satisfied. It's just like the movie's just like, oh, here's some lives we ruined. The end. And it's like, okay. Uh, why? What? Well, to me, what's interesting is that like, he doesn't have that like reconciliation with Sarah at the end. There is no like now we've right gotten revenge, we've put that behind us and now we can be together and have a happy ending. Instead, it's like it feels like his his lack of concern for Sarah at the end and his he's saying you took him from me. It's almost like Hopkins has replaced Sarah in his you know, as the object of his sort of devotion, you know, his, his obsession with getting revenge has displaced Sarah from his, from his life. Mm -hmm. And it's not what he cares about. It's not about her. Um, and, uh, so I think to me, that's like the film's criticism of that whole idea of masculinity and revenge and all that. Yeah. I like it ends up being absurd and horrifying and and not that Richard is like, you know, as bad as Hopkins or anything mm -hmm. like that. But the whole um logic of getting revenge sort of falls apart in the end or it's shown to be hollow. Yeah. It's like his intentions were good at the beginning, but he just like lost track of why he was doing what he was doing and was just like yeah an obsession he was obsessed so I was disappointed <laughs> I wanted a happy ending hmm. in a way the film is has more of a happy ending than real life yeah it could have been worse but still because in real life Matthew Hopkins uh, did not die from being shot after being hacked up with an axe uh he just died in his bed he uh, you know he retired from witch hunting and he went back and lived in his town and uh then he got sick and he died yeah that that is pretty fucking disappointing yeah even the sort of anti-resolution of the film is like more satisfying than what really happened Ugh. So yeah, I said like the film, I said the film's world is kind of morally gray. I feel like there's a oh, sense in which that's true. It's like, it's definitely a dark setting, a dark vision of humanity, but it's not like morally gray in the sense that we're not sure who to root for. Like the film definitely tells us yeah. that we don't like Matthew Hopkins from the very beginning like the narrator basically tells us mm -hmm. he's a bad guy and same thing with Stern like Hopkins and Stern are just evil like there's no redeeming quality to them right I guess that leads me to another interesting behind the scenes thing about this film which is that 
Reeve wanted Donald Pleasance for the Hopkins role, and the film studio basically forced Vincent Price on him. And so he and Price feuded throughout the making of the film. They never got along, and Reeve was, like, really mean to him. And I guess it turns out that, or at least this is what Price later said, is that Reeve was deliberately kind of goading him and being cruel to him, kind of like uh, we talked about Stanley Kubrick did to Shelley Duvall on the set of The Shining, Mm -hmm. in order to try to get him, get the performance out of him that he wanted, to get him frustrated and angry and upset, um, because he didn't want the kind of trademark Vincent Price, hammy, uh, charismatic, sophisticated um, character that Vincent Price would kind of play in most of the movies that he was in. He wanted something that was a lot darker and more grim. And uh, I definitely think if you look at this Price performance compared to something like House on Haunted Hill or, you know, the Poe movies that he made, I think there's a difference. Definitely. What did you think of that, the Price performance? Well, he made me hate him, so... I usually love Vincent Price, you know? So it's like, ugh, now I hate your face. Yeah, I think that's what Reeve was worried about. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, it was, it was very different. I thought it was very different than his usual performance. How do you think the film would be different if he had given a more normal performance for him? Or how would it be different if it was Donald Pleasance? Well, I don't know Donald Pleasance, I don't think. I Obviously, Vincent Price did a good job because we're supposed to hate him. He did a good job of getting us to hate him. He sucked, you know? Not in his performance, <laughs> yeah. but like as a, his character sucks. So, yeah, he did a good job. Yeah, I think he's... The thing with Donald Pleasance, and they talk about this in the commentary track on the Blu-ray, is, like, he's not as charismatic, and he's kind of good at playing characters that are kind of, like, just gross. Um, He's, like, a smaller person. I think in the script at that point, they had scenes that were almost, like, comical, where he would, like, fall off of his horse and stuff. Um, So there was more of, like, a contrast between him and Stern, with Stern being the brawn and he's more like the brains you know but he's like not physically imposing it's stern that has to do all the heavy lifting and he's also kind of like in 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 that version of the film you know he would kind of be almost the counterpart to um richard in that richard is like a parody of the dudley do right hero of a traditional adventure story and he is like you know a much smaller and less impressive version of the villain archetype you know he's no Darth Vader he's just this like gross um amoral sort of bureaucrat going around organizing lynchings Mm -hmm. and Vincent Price is like much more physically impressive he was like what six foot four or something he's he's a really physically imposing person um and he has that he still has that like vincent price command of diction and um he has this composure to him that i think makes him always seem like a threat Mm -hmm. he also turns out to be you know not so bad in a fight like that time that he like uh escapes from the soldiers and he just pulls his gun out and kills that one guy Mm mm-hmm so, I don't know. I think the film ended up not having as much of a contrast between the two villains as you might think. Because then Stern is also kind of clever. Like, he's a brute, but he's not stupid. Right. It, you know, we obviously can't go back and watch the other version of the film that never got made. But, yeah, I think it's pretty strong. But, yeah, the film doesn't really subvert the sort of trope of the evil villain. It doesn't ask us to see both sides of the witch hunt phenomenon. Like, it's just completely 
wicked and insane. Um, which I think is fair enough. Yeah. It doesn't seem to me like the film is really interested in witchcraft per se, though. Yeah, they didn't really get into all that very much. You kind of like are expected to know about all that stuff already on your own. Yeah. But like compared to something like, I don't know, Arthur Miller's The Crucible, mm-hmm. we really don't hear like testimony of witnesses right. saying what the witches did and, um, you know, descriptions of the, the mm-hmm. witches' Sabbath and whatever, that kind of stuff. We don't see people pretend to be possessed or any kind of thing like that. It's like the actual like beliefs uh, that people had at that time about witches. I get the sense that the film thinks of those as not really the heart of what motivated these witch hunts. Right, because it wasn't. Well, what do you think was? I think people just got, like, drunk on power. This was a way to, like, have power over people. And, you know, there's, like, Hmm. these dark sides of certain people that they were able to play into and cultivate and act upon. It was just an excuse. Yeah, it definitely seems like it is for mm-hmm. Hopkins and Stern. We also see that the, you know, the townsfolk, they already hate the priest. Right. It was just like an ex- yeah, I I think it depends on what type of person you you were. If you were the person like Vincent Price's character, then you have you, you know, you enjoy tormenting others. You're some kind of sadist. But then there's people who maybe just like they lent something to their neighbor, their ne- neighbor never gave it back, so they're like, you know what? Fuck that guy. I'm gonna say that he's a witch. You know what I mean? Like, some people kind of use it as an excuse just to, like, get rid of someone they didn't like, or it's just, like, a mass hysteria thing. Like, it, it, there's a lot going on with, with that, you know? Yeah. I have to say, to me, that view of it would almost be, like, comforting in a way. What really kind of scares me about this whole thing, and I don't know about scares, but it's like, I I find it so incomprehensible, and yet I think it's true, is that people really believed in witches and all this stuff. People may not know, I I kind of study this period of history, Mm -hmm. like, for a living. Um, I teach classes about it and stuff. And that's always something that I've had trouble wrapping my head around, is like, the beliefs about witches and witchcraft because if you go and read the actual books like the demonology books and like the malleus maleficarum the hammer of witches which was like this really popular witch hunting manual at the time they're full of all these like depictions of witches and demons and stuff that are just comical like they're they're like out of Mm -hmm. a, a children's storybook and and it's so surreal to read this stuff and know that, like, you know, this isn't a this isn't a fairy tale. This is something that was used as a pretext for killing thousands and thousands of people. Because there's there's like these stories. Like, I remember one that was in the Malleus Maleficarum is about like this witch who like steals men's penises. Oh yeah. And she puts them in a box and then hides it up in a tree and so this guy like climbs up in the tree and he gets the box and like they're in the penises are in there and they're like crawling around mm-hmm. and uh i, I think I, I don't remember like the end of the story but i think there was some kind of thing where it's like you know he could have picked a bigger one than he actually had he could have picked somebody else's and used that one instead and it's like you know this is clearly this is like a folktale, you know, like this is something from the Brothers Grimm, or this is, it, it operates on this kind of fairy tale logic where animals can talk and, you know, someone can steal your nose and just, it, you know, no blood is involved. It just comes off of your face and goes into a box, you know, like that. <sighs> it's hard to, hard to explain what it, what I find so disturbing about this. Like, it's, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that's even meant to be believed. Right. It's, clearly like fantastical and someone had quite the imagination like someone made this shit up you know what i mean like a lot of people probably but it's like they like yes and did their way into this (laughs) horrifying 
you know, genocide. And it's like, really, yeah, it's really scary. Yeah. So to me, that's, that's like the, the vortex of, of strangeness that all of this kind of witch stuff circles around. Um, mm-hmm. And, but yeah, I kind of feel like in this film, it's making a connection between, I guess what, what, what's interesting about it to me is like in a lot of witch hunting sort of things, it seems like it's the repressive social structures that are doing it, which often was the case. It's the police and it's the priests and it's the inquisition and whatever these institutions that are engaging in this. And here it's like, it's the breakdown of those larger structures that allows for Hopkins to go around and do this because everything he's doing is illegal, really. Um, Mm -hmm. You're not supposed to torture people, for instance, in, in England, um, which is why in England, there really weren't very many witch trials and witch executions um, compared to on the continent where torture was like a normal part of criminal procedure. Um, you could torture people to confess. Of course. Um, in England, that wasn't any part of the legal process. Confession that was obtained under torture would not be admissible in court. So you can sort of see how if, if your legal process involves torturing people until they not only confess, but give you the names of other people that are witches, then that very easily leads to this witch hunt that spirals out of control until you have hundreds of people being charged uh, and executed. Whereas in England, Mm -hmm. that kind of didn't happen. Um, And I think that the real life witch persecutions that Matthew Hopkins was involved in during the Civil War were the the height of witch hunts in England. Like these were the, the bloodiest that it ever got. Yeah. So in a way it's like, it's connected to this sort of breakdown of order in this film. It's like there are these antagonisms and energies and prejudices that people have that in a way are controlled when things are under control, but then when things break down, then those come out and people sort of devolve into savagery. Yeah, that's intense. Yeah, it reminds me of... um, a text that was written around this time, uh, Thomas Hobbes's book Leviathan, which is famously says that the life of man in the state of nat- nature is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short, uh, and that uh, because without any kind of government, people are naturally going to fall to just killing each other. Um, that's why government was invented. It's a kind of agreement. It's a social contract by which everybody kind of says, look, the state of nature is the worst possible situation. So we can at least get out of that if we all agree to have one person or one group of people put over us that has the monopoly on the use of violence. And Hobbes was kind of, you know, he was writing during this period and doubtless influenced by the chaos of the English Civil War. So, I don't know. I wonder if Reeve was thinking about that. Maybe. Other thoughts about this picture? I'm never watching it again. Would you recommend it? No. No, I would not. Not to anybody. Ever. (laughs) Okay, well... Uh... I think... I, I would. Obviously, I, I did recommend it for, to watch for this show. I don't know why you chose this movie. Hmm. And I'm a little mad at you. Oh, so. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I guess I figured because it's so old, it's okay that it's like, you know, bleak and violent and horrible. Apparently, it's not old enough. Yeah. To me, that is a good thing, you know, that that kind of means that it holds up that it can still be shocking and horrifying yeah well, yeah definitely is those things even with the bad gore effects and everything yes even with the pink paint it's just kind of unflinching in its depiction of this stuff 
and it's not it doesn't go overboard either you know like i hope people don't aren't imagining that there's like fountains of blood spewing out or anything Mm-mm. um it's pretty grounded i like that there's no hint of the supernatural i'm coming out here as someone who doesn't believe in that kind of thing that kind of fits with my my own view of what happened in this period and and witches in general you know i I don't i don't think that they're real and i i to me the horror of the situation is all on the side of just how this was allowed to go on you just couldn't help yourself could you? (laughs) you had to say it like i don't know i i did enjoy the film the witch that came out i think it was in 2015 but that's a film that kind of, I feel like, tried to do both. Like, you see the paranoia and the kind of social and interpersonal dynamics of how people come to accuse each other and get flipped out and do bad things because of their fear of witches. But also, there's a real witch, and that's horrifying as well. She's, like, eating babies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And... uh to me, that kind of doesn't work. Like, you need to go with one or the other. Okay. I don't know. I'm probably canceled now by all the people who love The Witch. Because, like, that's, like, a lot of people's favorite modern horror film. You canceled yourself at the beginning of this episode, so it's fine. Oh, yeah? What did yeah. I? Oh, when I said that, like, the people who voted were wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, it's okay to, to be wrong sometimes, you know? <laughs> Everybody's wrong sometimes. That is true. What are we going to be watching for next time, Heather? The Mummy. The Mummy. Okay. From 1932. Are you asking me? Yes. Yeah. We're not going to watch the Brendan Fraser one. Oh, man. <laughs> I just watched that like last week. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I love it. Yeah, those are pretty good. We're watching the OG Mummy with mm-hmm. Boris Karloff. Mm-hmm. So... We'll see you then. Okay, bye.